Thank you for tuning in to episode four of the Invite Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. Last week, we left you as we were running for our lives down the streets of Bangkok to try and catch our train. That train will eventually lead us to the paradise islands of Koh Samui and Koh Tao, off of the east coast of Thailand. It's a very special trip for us because we were there to celebrate the wedding of our two very dear friends. But before we can get more into the details over the past week, let's explain how we got there. So our itinerary this time was a bit more convoluted. As said before, we took the train from Bangkok to Surat Thani, which is a big city in the south of the country, well, biggish city in the south of the country. We had reserved a first-class sleeper cabin because the train ride was expected to last about 13 hours. We left around 7.30 p.m. on the Monday and we were supposed to arrive uh, around 8.30 a.m. the following day. In reality, it took almost 16 hours. So what did you think about the train? I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, me too. I think in general it was relatively comfortable. It was smaller than I had imagined because this cabin was not big enough to have two seats that faced each other. It was a bunk style, like a hostel, so we slept one on top of the other. I had the bottom bunk, Quentin had the top bunk. But it had an extra bonus of having a sink, which I thought was great, and it had a very cold AC. Yeah, honestly, it worked really well with the AC. I would say it's just the um, uh, because the train would be uh, swinging one way or the other. Sometimes it kind of felt as if you were falling uh, when you were sleeping, for me at least, and that sort of woke me up a couple of times. But anyway, that was our train experience. We really liked it all together. And from there, we landed in Suratani. The only problem is that we landed about three hours late. Luckily, we had booked a van and ferry ticket, and they were more than happy to place us on the next one. So we arrived around 11 a.m. at Suratani. We took a van for about an hour to reach a pier called the Donsak Pier. We took a ferry that landed us in Kosamoy, and from there, a taxi from the Kosamoy Pier to the hotel that was kind of on the other side of the island. This experience for me was a bit more... Uh, you had to just learn to be patient and take your time because there was a lot of stops with a lot of waiting in between. Uh, so altogether, it just took much longer than expected. It was a really big travel day and we were pretty hungry by the time we got to our hotel and checked in. Luckily for us, it was right before when we had dinner reservations with our friends. So we were able to make it to dinner by 6 p.m. But the whole thing was a long process and many people flew directly from Bangkok to the Kosamoy airport. And that was, you know, a very easy one and a half, I think, hour flight. But we wanted to take the train route because we wanted to experience that sleeper train and also to save some money for the both of us as we're traveling. I wouldn't necessarily do it again, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, that's exactly where I would put it. As in, like, I'm glad I did it. I don't know if I would necessarily do it again. Although there is another long sleeper train in Vietnam that could be interesting in a few weeks from now. 
Yeah, but that's a different country, a different train system. So that could be fun to try. Yeah, but as far as I'm concerned, I think we've seen what we wanted to see from the train system in Thailand. All right, now for our section takeoff, where we discuss things we plan in advance and the cost breakdown. Because of the wedding, we had to book our hotels way in advance in Koh Samui and near the areas where it was recommended we stay because that's where the wedding events were taking place. So we ended up staying at two different hotels. One was called Smile House Resort, and the second was the Shasa Hotel. The total cost for both hotels for one week was around $450, which is definitely on the pricier side of things in Thailand. But we also did get a lot for our buck. And if you head over to our Instagram, you'll see my room tour of some of the places we stayed. We also brought the train van ferry ticket combo in advance for roughly $40 for both of us. I also thought what was surprisingly expensive was the price of taxis on the islands versus what we had gotten used to in Bangkok. So in Bangkok, a 20-minute taxi was maybe 100 baht with the meter taxi system. But on the islands, things worked differently. We had those luxury mini bus taxi things, which were actually kind of fun but cost maybe 100 baht per person as we're traveling around the island. And then things got even more expensive in Kotal when we're trying to get taxis to go from one side of the island to another to go to different beaches. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned Kotal, and this is where we spend more, uh, a bit more time. We decided to stay for a few days on a whim, and we stayed at a big tree hotel for about $30 a night. Now, this was a boutique hotel, very nice, very worth the money. And this was our main cost along with the ferry, which uh, cost from Kosamoy to Kotao, it cost us $33 for both of us. And from Kotao back to Suratani was about $50 for the both of us because it was uh, about three hours of ferry plus a van to take us into the Suratani, into the city itself. Okay, and that's how we got to the places we were. Now for our next section, in-flight entertainment, where we discuss various activities of last week. Now, of course, the biggest event was the wedding of our friends on the amazing island of Koh Samui and the time we were able to spend with our friends group. But these are not experiences that people can easily reproduce. <laughs> you would have to befriend the same people or befriend some awesome people and convince them to get married on tropical islands. So we'll focus on things that everyone can enjoy on Koh Samui. But first, we want to give a shout out to our friends, Greta and Manny. May you live happily ever after. And please renew your vow soon on another tropical island. And also our friends group, Ellie, Carmen, Louisa, Jacob, and George for being the amazing people that they are. As a small aside, uh, Carmen is the friend we mentioned a couple episodes ago by having the great idea of laminating score sheets for games so you can bring them along and it doesn't take a lot of space. But she wanted a shout out specifically for how light she packed for her sabbatical to Mexico. So thank you, Carmen, for that inspiration. Okay, so with this, uh, what activities did we do apart from the wedding stuff? I will start with the Tamarind Spring Spa, uh, which Juan did not participate in, did not take part in. And I think that was a mistake, but... <laughs> I'm really glad I did it. Uh, I went there with Ellie and Carmen, amongst our friends. And it was, I'm not really a spa sort of guy, but it was an incredible experience. 
Uh, it's an incredible natural setting. The spy itself is set up essentially on the side of a hill, and every pool, every cave, every sort of a steam uh, chamber that you have, all of it is just directly carved out of the rock. And so as you walk around, you actually have to kind of snake your way through massive rocks and trees that are just, they were there before the spa. Uh, I really appreciate how they tried to keep the natural beauty of that space and redid the minimum amount of um, amenities, the minimum amount of changes, just to make sure that people could walk safely. But uh, it was an incredibly relaxing experience. The service was really, really good. Uh, you had all these different scrubs you could use as well. Uh, the You could alternate between uh, the sort of hot steam chambers, which again were carved directly out of the rock, and colder pools of uh, fresh spring water. Um, the service was incredible. It also came with a bit of food. And all of that cost us maybe about $35 per person, which... Again, it's a bit pricey in terms of Thailand experiences, but I would say compared to the U.S. prices, it really is a treat. Because in the U.S., something like that would easily cost 10 times much. So while I was at the spa, Juan, you were relaxing on the beach, if I remember. Yes, I was, and just catching up with some friends who did not go to the spa as well. And a caveat, I didn't go to the spa because in my new eyelash extension care instructions it says specifically do not go into steam rooms or else your new lashes will fall off and I had just gotten my extensions and I didn't want them to fall off that's the only reason and I'm very sad about it but hey, beauty has its sacrifices <laughs> that's right I didn't even know I had to make the sacrifice until it was time to make it so I was at the beach as Quentin mentioned we hit up Crystal Beach which was a very famous beach in Kosamoy that has big boulders and crystal clear waters that were actually extremely warm. And I just spent time on the beach chilling with friends, having cold drinks, and our friends, some of them went on to get beachside massages. So it was overall a very good time. Out of the things that we had packed on our trip, the one item that really came in handy for us on this leg of our trip was our towels that we packed. I didn't even think that we would be using these towels all that much other than for maybe like a blanket wrap on the plane. But wow, they came in so handy on the beach as sarongs and as beach towels. So apart from Crystal Beach and the spa that we mentioned, a lot of the activities that we had were mostly around Fisherman's Village. So Fisherman's Village is a small area in the north of Kosamoy Island, which is known for being sort of the spot where the tourists stay. There are loads of resorts, uh, loads of shops, loads of food options. Now, I would say personally, uh, I don't know about you, Han, but I felt like it was a bit too curated to my taste, uh, you kind of feel completely separated from the actual island. Yeah, on one hand, it was quite curated, and you can tell the clientele is maybe a more higher-end type traveler, because there were a lot of beautiful, like architectural digest-worthy beachfront restaurants, which we did go to, and beautiful infinity pools, lounges that looked out right at the ocean. But yeah, it it was a specific vibe. If you're looking for a luxury retreat, getting very expensive massages and mani-pedis, that kind of uh, experience, it was good. But even 
surrounded by the luxury experiences, you can still feel a bit of hustle and bustle, such as there were some night markets, and that was great. But for a wedding, it was really nice, especially a wedding that accommodated so many people. People were tired from traveling. And, you know, for many people, they're coming to experience that luxury resort vibe. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, a lot of the people that work in the area, they are local type people. This is how they're making the money. So I'm not, you know, I'm absolutely not dissing that. And I think a lot of people are really quite happy to cater to to sort of those more luxury resort tourist needs. It's just a very different vibe to what we had earlier. Yes, and while we were staying at Smile House, a few of the activities we did as part of the wedding included a welcome boat cruise. It was actually a sunset cruise. It was absolutely beautiful with nibbles, and we ended up at a welcome dinner as well at a restaurant called The Mud, which is probably the most Instagrammable place on earth. Then for the latter part of the wedding celebrations, we moved away from Fisherman's Village and we moved to all the way on the south of the island to Shasa Hotel and Resort. The hotel itself was super beautiful. It had three pools, not one, not two, but three pools. And the pools had different jet systems and you it would take all day. It's all days of work just to dip and try out the different pools. And it was right on the ocean. The room itself was probably the most spacious place I've ever stayed. It came with a full kitchen, a living area, a dining room, a giant bedroom, and a very glorious bathroom as well. So it was a super wonderful room. I think people could stay long term at Shasa, so it makes sense that these are almost serviced apartments. What we didn't really like about it was that it had a weird key system where we could only have one key, (laughs) and that made things a little bit tricky if you want one person to stay in the room and one person to leave, because a lot of hotels in Thailand, the electricity of the room depends on the key being in a specific key slot. So a person could not leave and bring a key with them without the other person in the room being left in pitch darkness. And that happened to me. I was in the shower, and Quentin left and grabbed the keys, and I was plunged into darkness yeah and the thing is uh, i will go more in detail during turbulence but juan at this time was really quite sick so we generally needed me to be outside of the room and her to be inside the room but still with the electricity so that was very frustrating uh, the other kind of issue i had with that hotel was that um it's actually really isolated you really need to drive a few kilometers away from any sort of main street before reaching it you have to go over a hill it's an entire thing and we didn't realize that at the time we booked it uh, which meant that if we wanted any food we could either go to the restaurant uh, or we had to the rest we could either go to the restaurant of the hotel or we had to order some grab Uh, grab as a reminder is essentially the uber and uber eats of southeast asia and in general a lot of the amenities were simply not as available as they were supposed to be. Uh, And that's, of course, due to COVID. Uh, A lot of the hotels around that area, in the entirety of Koh Samoy in particular, which is so tourist-dependent, have suffered from COVID. Right. I joke, but I'm semi-serious, that I think Greta and Manny's wedding brought in an injection of tourism to the island. You can tell because they hired a wedding planner, 
the service at the wedding was impeccable. I think beach weddings are forever ruined for us just because of the level of execution of their oh, wedding yeah. was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible. The, the gold standard has been set. For right, her. and every other person on the island, we're like, oh, Greta Manny's wedding? <laughs> and, you know, half the time it's, yeah, <laughs> they are here for the wedding. This entire time in Kusuma was very enjoyable with all our friends. And with that, we ended up going to Kotao afterwards. So what did we do in Kotao? Well, it's known to be the mecca of diving. If you're going to Kotao, you're going there to dive. And we didn't dive. We didn't do it. We were both sick. If you remember our voices from a previous episode, we were both really sick. And so we did not feel comfortable going diving because we feel like we you need well-functioning throat and lungs and nose for that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean we spent all the time in our room. Uh, we started by going to Kota by the Lompreya ferry, uh, which I actually really liked. It was slightly more expensive than our previous one, but it was so much faster, comfortable, AC, fans. Uh, did you like it as well? You know, I don't really remember it. Oh I yeah, you know I what? Slept. You fell asleep. Yeah, you fell asleep immediately. But by Juan's standard, that is the highest praise she can give. But yeah, arrived at Kotao, I would say what struck me the most was the size of the island. It is noticeably smaller than Kosamoy. To go around is very different. There are taxis, but there is no grab, or you can only gr- use grab for food. You cannot use it for transportation. Because of that, the taxis are very expensive. There's no competition. And so just crossing the island, which takes 10-15 minutes, will cost you like three or 400 baht. These taxis are not what you imagine as taxis. These taxis are pickup trucks with the truck bed converted into benches where you can sit. So there is an option to sit inside the truck, uh, in the passenger seat, or you can hang out outside. I really like hanging out outside. Juan does not. I really like it because that way you can see so much of the island and because your your view is not obstructed like it would be if you were inside a car. So you get really like a front row seat as to everything that's going on around Kotao. We also did not have motorbikes. Most of the people get around the island with motorbikes, but I have this phobia and I don't want to die. I don't want to point out that pretty much every tourist that uses a motorbike is fine. I don't think anyone died while we were there. I think we would have heard about it. But yeah, I understand. It is it is a bit scary because it's a new place. Uh, people drive on the left. That's also very different. And a lot of the island is very hilly. It goes up and down all the time. So if you're not comfortable on a motorbike, it can be quite dangerous. Shout out to Ellie for conquering her fears and figuring out how to ride a motorbike to get around the island. Since we didn't quite feel ready to go diving, our main activity on Katao was snorkeling. And wow, it was incredible. Oh yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, The place we went first was something called Tonot Bay or Tonot Beach. And this was my first time snorkeling ever. I had never snorkeled. I am not a water baby. I'm not a water person in general. And this was absolutely amazing. It was a very quiet spot. There was like maybe, what, 20 people? Yeah, the water was crystal clear and we saw some amazing coral. We saw some amazing fish. What did you see that you thought was particularly nice? I loved seeing those multicolored giant clam things. It was very cool to see them snap in the water. You could see parrotfish almost immediately. You don't even have to step into the water and they are all around you already. I love that when you put your face underwater, you can actually hear them chomping away. 
And you can actually hear the sound of the reef system overall. When you snorkel further from the beach, the seafloor drops very drastically, and it really feels like you are swimming under a mega city. And there are huge schools of fish swimming all around you. I was head first in a school of shimmering fish. I don't know what they were exactly, but it was so magical. What about you, Quentin? Some of the coral was created was like big. It looked like a fortified city of like maybe 10 feet across or so. So like about three meters across. And you're just kind of floating above it. And you see all those fish or sea slugs or like little... Uh, bits and bobs just moving around and eating and living and you're just like wow this is an entire megalopolis that i'm looking at and there's so much ecosystem like the word ecosystem really takes its entire meaning when you see all those different parts moving at the same time right and at the same time you know when we were in Katao, i picked up a book about <laughs> i think it's called Buddhism for absolute beginners or something like that, because we're in a Buddhist country and I want to understand a bit more about Buddhism. And one sentence that really resonated with me and I've been pondering about my experience at Tenot Bay was a very famous Buddhist koan, which is something that Buddhists ponder. And it says that you enter the state of awakenedness through a gateless gate. So at some point when you become so aware of your surroundings and you're really in the moment, that is a moment of awakeness. And I really felt for me that was plunging into the ocean at Tenote Bay and just observing life around me. It was a very special moment. Yeah, that was really a moment of, yeah, just enjoying the moment for what it was uh, without necessarily thinking about the fact that you're enjoying it it was it was lovely although i would say for a good chunk of it i had the um the only thought i had in my mind was the music from the underwater levels in donkey kong country for super nintendo if you played that video game you know what i'm talking about it's an excellent piece of music and the following day we did something that was basically the exact opposite but also snorkeling related we went on a snorkel beach cleanup with Coral Tribe, which is a local nonprofit. We were there with the leader, Jenny, and we basically just belly crawled through the very shallow waters at Sari Beach or really close to Sari Beach, the main beach on the island. And for, you know, an hour, we just fished out all sorts of junk from the beach. So for me, I had a very meta moment where I was snorkeling and I fished out a snorkel, also a phone charger. Quentin, what were some of the things that you picked out? Oh God, I found, uh, what did I find? I found a flip-flop, I found a playing card, I found some like random bits of plastic that looked like they could have belonged to like, I don't know, maybe a surfboard or something like this, although nobody surfs in that area. What else did I find? Oh, I found underwear? Gross. People, keep your underwear on as you're at the beach. Oh no, gross. I think the majority of what I found was actually like little sachets of like instant coffee of sugar. And those, I remember using them on the boats, on the cruise, on the ferries and the cruises we've been to. So I was like, oh God, no, this is, this is the problem. But yeah, we found, I think the majority of what we found was just random plastic bags. At the end, we had picked up over 20 kilos of random plastics and random waste 
So that was incredible. That was just, what, six people for one hour, maybe? And we did not go any further than maybe 20 meters away from the shoreline. Right, and they do this cleanup once a week at the same beach. So it's shocking how much trash ends up in the ocean. And in the end, we categorized everything that we picked out and documented what we had collected using the Clean Swell app, which is created by the Ocean Conservancy. And I was the one counting how many food wrappers we had picked out. I remember it was in the 80s, like 83 individual pieces of food wrapping, which was crazy. And now this is the turbulence section, where we discuss the things that did not quite go according to plan. And the first one, the obvious, was that we were sick. Like we explained in the previous episode, uh, we were feeling quite sick, sort of around the throat and chest and lung area. Again, not COVID. But altogether, it kind of obviously soured some enjoyment of things. We were not necessarily able to do all the things we wanted to do. And it has led to these confusing moments, like I was saying earlier in the Shasa Hotel, uh, but now that is my small, tiny nitpick uh, about a very small part of the trip. Uh, for Juan, she actually has an actual turbulence she wants to talk about, and she wants to take this time to talk about the impact of climate change on coastal ecosystem. Thanks, Quentin. I think snorkeling in Tenno Bay was probably my first ever encounter with healthy reef systems. And I've snorkeled or been in many different oceans, such as, you know, I went to Bali a few years ago for a ocean conservation conference. I was in the Caribbean for work and I've seen many damaged reefs. So for me, that's why Tenno Bay is so emotional. I really don't think I've ever seen the majesty of a healthy reef system. But I was talking to Simon, the dive master at Black Turtle Dive School, and he says that in his 12 years of living in Kotao, he has experienced six instances of coral bleaching. So six coral bleaching individual events that has happened around the island. They don't necessarily happen in the same beach. So, for example, there was a bleaching event maybe a few years ago near Shark Bay. And that's why there's no coral, um, but there is still sharks and turtles. And a few beaches over, you have Tenno Bay, which has not bleached recently, and it, you can see. So that was really sobering. And the biggest threat to reef ecosystems, of course, are the rise in sea temperatures. So coral is actually an animal with a symbiotic relationship with algae. And when the environment is stressful for coral, they expel the algae. So that causes the coral itself to go white. And that is what is known as coral bleaching. So the rising in sea temperature is a huge stressor for corals, and that's a big cause of bleaching. Also, acidification of the ocean from absorption of carbon dioxide is another stress factor. Um, nutrification of water from agricultural runoffs or developments or farms on the island, such as from like coconut farms or palm farms, those would all add to the nutrients in the water and that causes stressors for the coral ecosystem. And of course, physical damages from development, fishing and anchoring practices. So currently there are a lot of efforts to try to preserve coral, replant coral, farm coral, help them recover and they can recover after bleaching effects. It's just too many consecutive bleaching events will cause them to disappear permanently. 
So I, I feel so lucky to be able to see and admire healthy reefs at Teno Bay and see all of the life that a healthy reef system supports. But I know it's kind of paradoxical that we as tourists, in order to get to these places, we are part of the problem. So let's do our best to not harm them more while we are enjoying the reefs and the wildlife and also think about how we can help otherwise when we're not on vacation anymore to tackle some of these root cause problems in climate change. <laughs> this is my soapbox, so I get to talk about it all day. <laughs> I get to talk about anything I want, and today it is climate change. No, I mean, obviously I agree about all that. Right, and there were also dive schools on Kotel that specialize in conservation efforts. So you, as a scuba diver, can also go out and do coral watch, where you measure the colors of corals and track it to make sure that scientists have the data for the progression of different reefs. So I'm also going to seek out these types of dive schools in Malaysia, where we hope to do our PADI certifications down the road. All right. And to end on a happy note, this is our Flying High segment where we pick our favorite moment. For me, my Flying High at least is, of course, the wedding. And then as a very close second, the snorkeling. How about you? Ugh, you took mine. Of course, it's the same. What I love about weddings is the celebration of love and also meeting people in our friends' lives who make them who they are as well. It made so much sense why Greta is Greta and why Manny's Manny when you have met their friends and you've met their family beyond just our friends group. And it paints a fuller picture of who they are as individuals. And it was so emotional. I think I cried probably every single event at the wedding. And I'm happy to do so. These are all happy tears. Yeah, yeah. So it's game over. We're all sobbing the entire thing. And let me tell you, given the weather and how hot it is, you do not want to dehydrate yourself like this. So <laughs> it, was, it was really a challenge for us. Well, they should have coconuts at the wedding cocktail reception, which was brilliant. All right, that's all for this week, guys. Uh, next week, we will be in the beautiful city of Chiang Mai after a quick detour to the incredible Kosok National Park. Thank you so much again for listening to us. And as always, we'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Invited Along Podcast. You can also reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye. <laughs>